With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. the December 2nd, 2012 edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard. It is the podcast devoted to the discussion of news and politics from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy, Objectivism. I'm your host, Amy Peikoff, and I'm going to be joined in the studio by cartoonist Bosch Faustin in a little bit. But first, I'm going to talk with Jerome Brooke about our first topic briefly for the first 10, 15 minutes or so. Today, our main topic is going to be Greg Gutfeld the Red Eye host, his recently released book called The Joy of Hate. The subtitle is How to Triumph Over Whiners in the Age of Phony Outrage. I very much enjoyed this book, and I think you would enjoy it as well, so I'm going to be selling you that. Um, at the same time, uh, the thing that we're going to talk about is something that I think his book his book is an example of, and it is a phenomenon that I'm calling, perhaps, inappropriately, trickle-down Ayn Rand. And what I mean by that is that there are a number of people who have been indirectly influenced by Ayn Rand's ideas, and yet they themselves perhaps have never even heard of Ayn Rand, perhaps they have never even read her if they have heard of her, and yet they go around and they have you know, quite a few ideas that they share in common with her philosophy. Of course, not having actually read Ayn Rand or done the work to integrate the philosophy, they don't share the ideas completely. But I, I think Gutfeld's uh, book is an example of that. Uh, I was told by someone on Twitter, his name is Trent Hill, I believe, that I should call it Supply Side Ayn Rand instead of Trickle Down Ayn Rand. But I'll ask Kiron if he thinks that's a, a, a better uh, a better way to talk about it. If you want to call in and discuss either Greg Gutfeld's book or this phenomenon that I'm trying to name here, Trickle Down Ayn Rand, 760-888-5817. Again, that's 760-888-5817. Yaron, you here, you know, I want to talk to you about it, and you must see it everywhere because you travel the entire country and meet people all the time and talk to them, but of course you meet them when they probably have already heard of Ayn Rand, but probably you've talked to other people who share our views and yet haven't necessarily read her or heard of her. I yesterday, or actually day before, sorry my brain is uh, fried, but the day before yesterday I got my hair cut. And it turns out my hairdresser, you know, which I think it's fairly uncommon, classifies himself as a libertarian. And he's at this semi-fancy salon, and I, you know, I'm very reticent to discuss my views with this man because I think, oh, surely he's some kind of liberal. He's at this fancy hair yeah, salon. Yeah. He's a talented hairstylist. You know, and, and he says he's a libertarian. And then he says, moreover, not only does he have all these libertarian views, but he rejects Ron Paul's foreign policy, which I think is fairly rare for a libertarian that hasn't been influenced by Rand, mm-hmm. but... But maybe not. Uh, You know, Gutfeld, I think, is also in that camp. So I thought, okay, this is another person. Because, again, when I met Gutfeld in New York earlier this year, I asked him, I said, you have so many views that seem right in line with her. Have you read her? And he said, no. So I said, well, I have to take him at his word. Okay, here's another one. But, but Yaron, how how many have you met like that? No, I think there are a lot of people like that. And I think, uh, you know, um, remember that much of what libertarians advocate at least at a certain level uh they took from Ayn Rand so um there's a certain way in which her ideas have trickled down certainly uh through the libertarian movement uh, certain of her ideas 
Um, I, I wouldn't say anything too profoundly philosophical is, is, uh, has impacted them, unfortunately. Uh, and then it gets into books and then it gets into commentators. And, you know, sometimes you, you just hear a snippet out of even a Rush Limbaugh or Glenn Beck or somebody like that. And you say, hey, that sounds, you know, they're talking about the morality of capitalism. Who ever talked about the morality of capitalism? Well, everybody's talking about the morality of capitalism these days. And yet very few of them would attribute it to Ayn Rand, but yet there's no other place they could have gotten it. It's the only place they could have gotten it is her. So whether they got it directly or whether they get it indirectly, there's a huge amount of Ayn Rand in the culture. Look, I think this has been going on for, um, I don't know, since the publication of Atlas Shrugged, because I think the whole culture's attitude towards capitalism changed in the late 1970s and into the 1980s. And uh, I think that is only because of Ayn Rand. I, you know, maybe a little bit of Milton Friedman, but but primarily Ayn Rand. Capitalism was a dirty wood in the 60s and 70s, and it was not a dirty wood. In the, it started not being a dirty wood in the 80s. And again, the only person to defend capitalism during those periods uh, was Ayn Rand. So it's it's out there, and I take it as a very good sign. Absolutely. Um, we've got somebody on the line here, and I'm not sure if they want to actually go ahead and talk about this particular topic or about Gutfeld's book. Let's ask. Hi, are you on hold to talk about the trickle-down Ayn Rand, or do you want to talk about Greg Gutfeld's book? Okay. I guess the person doesn't want to talk. A little bit of dead air there. Um, so in terms of this being, I think it's a good sign on the one hand, but on the other hand, I think that because some of the ideas that these people hold are inconsistent or they can't actually defend the ideas, it could be a problem. So, But overall, I would say it's it's a good sign that the culture is so permeated by this, yes? Yeah, no, I think it has to be overall a good sign. Yeah, I mean, they don't articulate the ideas very well. They're not consistent. Uh, they um, They compromise on them. But actually, the fact that they don't claim to be objectivists is a good thing. So they're doing this all in the name of their mixed-up, nonsensical ideology. Uh, but they're advocating some good things. And, and uh, as a consequence, it exposes those ideas to other people. Other people, uh, you know, uh, get to consider them. They might at the same time be exposed to uh, <clears throat> to Ayn Rand's ideas and, and maybe see a bigger picture and maybe be, be more consistent. But... At the end of the day, the way you change a culture is, is incrementally like this with people adopting your ideas, even not knowing that it's your ideas that they're adopting. Right, right. And that's one thing that I think happens with the, the book here, which I want to talk about as our, our main topic today. Yeah, and you see a lot of books out there that, that again, are, 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 it's like um, Arthur Brooks from uh, the American Enterprise Institute, who's on a big campaign on the morality of capitalism, and he and he talks about a lot of really good things, like happiness comes from what he calls earned success, which is productiveness kind of. And and there's a lot, but he can't take it all the way. But where did he even get, the, how did he get this far? And I, I think there's no doubt that the only way he could have gone as far as he has is because of Rand and because of people who've been influenced by Rand and her impact on the culture. And then it's our job to take uh, to take the ideas the rest of the way in terms of cultural exposure, he he can't do it because he's too too much of a conservative, too much um, too dependent on 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 religion and and religious people to upset them, right. to attack altruism outright. Okay, well, thank you, Yaron, for uh, chiming out. You haven't read this book, I assume, "The Joy of Hate" by Gutfeld. No, I don't know Greg Gutfeld at all, so. I don't bad. watch television. I I, I I don't watch I don't watch talk television. It, I, it infuriates uh, me. I'm I'm ashamed to say that I go to bed so early that I watch it on DVR. Red yeah. Eye. I watch Red Eye on DVR pretty much every morning, uh, and so I've uh, you know watched Gutfeld for a long time. Got to meet him in New York. I think uh, you would be an excellent guest on his show. Of course. Someday I would like to be a guest on a show, but you actually have books and things to talk about. So it would someday, be nice. But, but, but you have to watch it me. first. You have yeah. to actually watch his show first no, so you know what it. you were in for. <laughs> it's it's a very unique show in the format, and I think it would uh, well, throw you, you a bit if if you hadn't if done it before. You've done a lot of TV, me, but you haven't done if that. If he invites me, I promise to watch the show. You'll promise to watch the show. If he invites but me. Before your yes, appearance. Before I go on. You'll before study. I go on, I'll study. I'll prepare. We'll we'll give you tips as well. So sadly, ten step comedians. What is that? You you try and insult me? I'm not funny enough. Is that the point? 
I, I think Yaron could be funny. I mean, <laughs> Sorry, you know, Robert. He's, Just kidding. he's got Ambassador John Bolton on regularly, and Bolton is quite funny on the show. You, hard, it's yeah. hard to believe. Yeah. But no, he is. No, he's excellent. He's excellent. So, uh, yeah, they say Yaron is funny. Of course you could be funny. No, he's kidding. He doesn't really think I'm funny. But you can be. I can be, yes. No, I, I would I would be fine on the show. I would it would be fun. Yeah. And I think I And think I will prepare and I will watch and I'll uh I wanna be on on John Stewart and on uh You're brave if you want to be on John absolutely Stewart. Absolutely I wanna be on Boss John did Stewart. that and that was uh, I know. But I wanna be live. I don't wanna be like Yeah, exactly. Be live. I, I, I be, be live. live. I don't wanna do be it. interviewed on the side like uh Boss did. That that is just uh, that's asking for trouble. Yeah. Sometimes uh, beggars can't be choosers though when you're trying to get that exposure, so Anyway. So what is the show about men? I don't know what you're talking about. Well, Where is this? Kate oh. is asking what's the show about. Oh, no, this show is not about men. So I think uh, Catgirl has dropped in for the first time. Hi. Welcome. People in the chat room are talking here, by the way. We do have the chat room up and running. I got it running a little bit late today. But, no, this show is about news and politics from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy, which is objectivism. I don't know if you've heard of it, but hang around if you want to hear a little bit. We're talking about Greg Gutfeld's book. Maybe you've heard of Greg Gutfeld, so maybe Catgirl will hang around and, and well, comment as I'll, well. I'll let you guys know if I ever make it a John Stewart. Yeah, we'll, we'll give plenty of advance I'll go warning. call Bosch. Okay, yeah. Bring bring Bosch in. Out with your own, in with Bosch. Okay, here we go. So we're going to talk about the joy of hate. And as I said, the subtitle of this book is How to Triumph Over Whiners in the Age of Phony Outrage. And if you need a link to find this book on Amazon because shame on you, you haven't purchased it yet, then you can find it on my Don't Let It Go Unheard page on Facebook. Uh, overall, what Gutfeld is talking about is he is talking about the phenomenon of tolerance in the culture. And he characterizes the way that tolerance is used today by people in the media, the culture at large, as actually repressive. It's repressive who, of anyone who they define as being intolerant. In other words, disagreeing with them. And he's got definitions for two different terms in his introduction, one is called the tolerati, and the other is the toleratic. And I guess the one is just the plural of the other. But let me give you the definition. Here, here are the tolerati. This is on page 14 in the Roman numeral uh, introduction. Here he says, "It's a name he's coined to describe those who traffic in repressive tolerance." And of course, he trademarks this. But you know, basically, they go around and they label people as intolerant as a way of demonizing them and demonizing their views. Um, the toleratic, he says, it's a person who claims to tolerate anything until he, she, or it meets a conservative, in other words, somebody that they disagree with. But what he identifies is, I think, a really uh, good phenomenon, which is that, A, there is this you know, so-called hypocritical tolerating person who tolerates anything except the person he disagrees with and then he'll label that person as intolerant so tolerance is the standard but then also insofar as you decide to be tolerant in other words in objectivist terms you refuse to judge you withhold your judgment you decide you're going to not judge in the name of tolerance insofar as you do that Gutfeld points out so many concretes in which this results in punishing the good and letting the bad guy get off without any criticism or punishment. So it punishes the good, rewards the bad, insofar as you go out with this phony tolerance out there. So, uh, you know, I, I think I think it is. It, it's, it's two different phenomena. A, many of them are hypocrites because they say they're tolerant, but then when they encounter the person they disagree with, forget it. Uh, but also he talks about the damage that tolerance does. In other words, a, a lack of, of judgment. The thing that I like is that he does actually bring up uh, what he's calling for in terms of judgment. Uh, again, in, from the introduction, he says, we need to replace the idiocy of open-mindedness, which is another way of being yeah. overly tolerant. He says, we need to replace the idiocy of open-mindedness with happy judgmentalism. Yeah. And I like it because he says, hey, we need to bring back judgment 
But also he says happy judgmentalism. It's not like you're going around like some dour old maid or something, you know, judging people and pronouncing judgment and being wicked and evil about it. You know, you're you're doing it in a happy way. Um, Unafraid as well. Yeah, un- unafraid, yeah. Uh, not caring what other people think is is a is a huge theme right. as, as in well. So what I find overall in this book, and and we'll talk about different aspects here, but I think he he talks about some important ideas that are concretized in an entertaining way. Mm-hmm. Much of it is compatible with objectivism, but what you know, some things I'm going to argue, I'm going to point out where I think there's some inconsistencies in the ideas, and that if we could persuade Greg Gutfeld to read a little bit of, of Rand can, and maybe I, just talk about some of the ideas over a glass of wine or something. That, we could uh, we could get some of these inconsistencies out. We can could I mention give what he him, said in the book? We, yeah, we could give him some intellectual ammunition. Sure. So yeah, so Bosch, go ahead and mention Well, you know, he, uh, he was a liberal when he was younger and he said he became a conservative after hanging out with liberals and he became a libertarian after hanging out with conservatives. So hopefully, maybe, after hanging out with libertarians he could become an objectivist. You know, one day. We'll see. He does. He hangs out with a lot of libertarians, though. So and after he's got a while, you Nick never know. on this show right. all the time. He, and they're wrong. And I mean, in some ways, especially foreign policy. But he's rational in foreign policy. Well, he is very rational in foreign policy, and that's one thing that I think is uh, different uh, in him versus other so-called libertarians. But uh, he hasn't. I got to take him at his word. He hasn't read Rand. They did have the show when they were talking about Obama answering the Rolling Stones question about Rand's ideas, and the, they had the editor of Reason Magazine on, and he said he hadn't even read Atlas Shrugged. Right, Do you remember that right. show? Right, And also and Andy Levy Andy just dismissed Levy trashed it. It was terrible. Shrugged. We, we so, assumed he was uh, a lot more sympathetic, but, he, but he's not. He said it's, it's 300,000 pages to read. It's a tome. you know, It's ridiculous. Yeah, so I, I, don't, I don't know that Andy Levy ever quite got it. Uh, one thing I'd like to tell Andy Levy, I know he's probably a big fan of 80s music. <laughs> I met Simon Le Bon, right. and Simon Le Bon has been mentioned as somebody who was influenced by Ayn Rand. I think it was in Barbara Brandon's horrible book. Simon that, Le Bon, that she of, said, of Durand, yeah, Durand. Simon Le Bon, a Duran Duran lead singer. And I asked him when my little one window that I had to meet, you know, is it true that you've been influenced by Ayn Rand? And LeBon was interesting because he says, well, you know, I really think that uh, Jim Morrison was more of an influence right. on me. So that was very disappointing that Jim Morrison would be more of an influence on him than Ayn Rand. But then he said, I love her writing, interesting, yeah. but not her ideas. We and that's exactly that. the opposite of yeah. somebody like Levy, right? Yep. And I, I, I really uh, gained more respect for him. I was I was a huge Durani. Rob, Robert says that Andy is often tongue-in-cheek, and he is. He's very funny, but about this, I think he was consistent. No, he was, he was serious. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, he I think hasn't he read it clearly, serious. and he dismissed it. I think he may have read The Fountainhead, which is more accessible to a lot of people. You yeah, know, both, one, once, both. It gets ex- once it gets explicit in the Atlas Shrugged people, some people tend to get turned yeah. off. Yeah, both, both he and the editor of Reason Magazine were going back and forth and dismissing the book as yeah. just ponderous, you know, right. that they couldn't read it. It was... Uh, too didactic, etc. Yeah, it was too good for them. You know. That, that was it. That was it. So let me talk more about some of the ideas. I gave you the big overall picture of what Gutfeld is talking about. He's talking about the phenomenon of tolerance in the culture. And then like his last book, it's the Bible of Unspeakable Truths. Yeah, the, yeah, is that what right. it was? Yeah. The Bible of Unspeakable um, Truths. Like his pre- prior book, uh, there's a lot of short chapters discussing particular issues in the culture and doing it in a very entertaining very way. That's the one thing about funny. Gutfeld. Gutfeld wipes the floor I mean, with us, with everybody, in terms of funny. talking about important ideas in an entertaining way. He does it very, he's very so well. He's so sharp. He's so quick. Um, but what he tries to do with each of the issues is illustrate the ways in which the so-called tolerati are hypocrites, of course, um, but he also illustrates the way that their so-called repressive tolerance, the way that he describes it, it's repressive, um, that it ends up punishing the good and rewarding the bad. Uh, So, for example, let me give you an example. He talks about Occupy Wall Street. And so if you go to uh, pages 152 to 53 of the book, um, he says, that basically, um, it, you know, what what they're doing by uh, tolerating the occupiers, and, and of course he points out that they tolerate, the media tolerates the occupiers, but not the Tea Partiers. Right. The occupiers actually committed 
all various forms of mayhem. And he says, the issue is excusing mayhem. He says, you can't sit by while bad stuff happens. And that's what they do by tolerating uh, these these occupiers. Um, And he said when he actually brought up the various things that the Occupy Wall Street did, and in the book he actually lists, various crimes committed by members of Occupy Wall Street. Um, That's a couple pages later. But he says says the people, all the media, kept accusing him of cherry-picking incidents to taint their fluffy, wonderful uprising. He says, to them, Occupy Wall Street was the big snuggles bear misunderstood when really it was the big bad wolf with gastritis, end quote. So... um, he definitely puts it better than I could, but the point is is that you know when they are tolerating Occupy Wall Street saying that they're just this misunderstood snuggle bear, yeah. really you're letting all of these horrible things like rape and yeah. vandalism and all sorts of things go uh, unpunished and uncriticized, and that this is actually dangerous so and anti-Semites in there and there I mean they, they went to the bathroom publicly on cars. Right. Um, Another thing that he talks about is he talks about the argument from intimidation. Now, he doesn't put it in those terms. Rand identified a fallacy called the argument from intimidation in which what the speaker does is the speaker criticizes his opponent solely on the grounds that his opponent holds a certain idea. So you say, oh, well, certainly you don't think that horrible idea that all these bad people think. Right. Right. Uh, surely you're better. Than that. Yeah, yeah. Surely you're better than to hold that horrible view. No. And whoever well, likes this music is an idiot. Do you like that music? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, when you do that, Rand identifies, then it lets the particular idea go without challenge at right. all. People right. are just assuming as part of the argument that that particular idea is bad because there is no argument. All you're doing is you're smearing the person on the grounds of holding that idea. He identifies that explicitly. In in the book, but of course he doesn't call it that. Um, He has a uh, in one chapter he discusses the Fort Hood massacre, and he talks about the fact that you know the Obama administration decided to label the Fort Hood massacre workplace violence. Yeah, workplace violence, right? And 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 he describes it as the Obama administration wanting to come up with euphemisms because of their misplaced tolerance. Now I actually think that if Gutfeld you know, delved into Obama and his ideology a little more, he would say it's not just that no. they're tolerant. Right. I think he's actually a nihilist. I, I think Obama is much worse maybe than Gutfeld seems to believe that he yeah, is in uh, here. Some conservatives just can't go f- as, as far and call him what he is. I mean, yeah. they can't. Yeah. Um, but nonetheless, he describes in there that they are anti-reality, that they are actually rejecting reality. And in effect, he's illustrating what a primacy of consciousness, which is a term that Rand uses, what a primacy of consciousness mentality would try to do with something like the Fort Hood Massacre. We don't want to believe that there's still all these horrible, dangerous, dangerous terrorists. So we're not going to call this terrorism. We're going to call it workplace violence. Also, or, if you recall, the, um, a military higher up during, uh, during after Fort Hood massacre, he says he says something along the lines where, yeah, this is a, a terrible tragedy, but even a even a worse tragedy would be if we lose our ideas of diversity. And if you do you remember that, he actually tried to say that diversity is more important than those lives lost. I mean, I just right. it was unbelievable. Of course, he's probably Obama appointed. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. Definitely. Um, now, in terms of what primacy of consciousness actually is, in brief, uh, Rand believes, of course, that reality is objective, that you know that we are capable of going out there, looking at the facts of reality, gaining sensory data, inferring, using logic on the basis of that sensory data, and getting real knowledge about the world. The opposing view instead of saying, well, there's the primacy of existence, looking at reality out there and conforming to it is primacy of consciousness, evading reality, shutting your eyes, resorting to these sort of euphemisms so that you don't have to face the reality of exactly what the Fort Hood Massacre, for example, is. Uh, Terms that Gutfeld does use explicitly are terms like multiculturalism and moral relativism, and he rejects moral relativism, which I think is excellent. Um, 
But moreover, in addition to, I mean, he just has, I mean, this this is the thing that I think is really valuable about his book. Let me tell you what I think is the, I mean, and, and put it succinctly. He has so much integrated knowledge about the concretes out there in yeah. politics and in the culture. And he has a very good framework in which he analyzes it, even though I think it's imperfect because I think that he should study objectivism and get it just a little bit more right. But the, there is so much valuable material in this book for you to see how these ideas actually play out in the real world so that the argument from intimidation is used out there all the time, that our administration is engaging in primacy of consciousness and it's got these horrible effects because it leaves us vulnerable to attack. Um, you know, what are the dangers of multiculturalism and moral relativism? Of course, moral relativism is another way of tolerating these people who have different right. moral ideas than you, and, and you see the consequences. Um, the thing that I would love to see is to him to tie it to an actual virtue of justice. Of course, I think he'd probably say, and rightly so, his sort of book, it would come across as didactic to spend Public. a lot of time talking about a virtue of justice. Because it's very funny. I mean, yeah. laugh out loud, funny. Exactly. I mean, exactly. it really is, and he has these these things that that he puts in there out of out of left field. I mean, it's right funny. But um, he does bring in the word judgment. He says he's calling for people to be judgmental, to be intolerant, to be intolerant of wrong ideas, of bad ideas. So he's you there. You rarely hear that. He he he. Yeah, and you do re- rarely hear that, especially from Outside someone objectivism. as uh, you know who's part of the popular culture like he is. Congratulations, Greg, by the way. Uh, he got the number seven number in seven. the New York Times yeah. bestseller. So, I mean, right is, out of the gate. It's, it's excellent that there's so many good ideas and so many well-documented and analyzed concretes yeah. in this book. But, yeah, I want to I push him further. I'd, I'd like to push him further. Uh, when he talks about judgmental, being judgmental, well, why be judgmental? Objectivism right. says, that you need to be judgmental as part of preserving your life. Rand is excellent at tying this virtue of justice, which is giving to each person that which he deserves, to right. your survival. Now, he does that in his own way. In, implicitly his own way because he talks about the punishing the good and the letting the bad get off. You could take one step further and say, well, what do you do when you punish the good? You undermine the good. And these Good people who are out there, whether they are the merchants who are looked at as bad compared to the Occupy Wall Street people, or whether they are the our military right. who are smeared and jeered at, uh, which he talks about in one chapter. These people are being punished by the so-called tolerati. Um, insofar as you punish and undermine the good, those people, those good people could be adding value to your life. And if they don't have value to you know anymore, your life is not as good. You're not flourishing as well as you could be. Um, if you're letting the bad get by without criticism, which is what the media has done with Occupy Wall Street compared to the Tea Party, you are, to that extent, undermining your life. You need to pronounce judgment. Now, you don't need to go out there needlessly pronouncing right. judgment, but that's what I like about him. Yeah. He, uh, and, and this is one... Uh, very value-oriented part of his book is the very end, his uh, conclusion. And let me actually see if I can flip to it really quick. Um, he he doesn't he says he doesn't like writing actually a conclusion of a book because he thinks it's too final, etc. But uh, you know the the thing that he talks about at the end is he says you have to separate out there the things that are worth being judgmental and getting angry about versus not. Right. That, the you know, the people who have this phony outrage, right. the tolerati who say you're intolerant and I'm going to call for you to be fired, right. and et cetera, et cetera. Um, you, you know, A, you get a thick skin. B, you look and you say, am I really offended by this? Am, you know, why? And in effect, what he's saying is, is this an important value of mine that's being attacked and if so, maybe I need to do something about it. Maybe I don't. But the thing, the passage that I like is when he talks about, you know, nobody sits on their deathbed saying, oh, I wish I had crafted a better response to that blog post, <laughs> you know. Um, and, and the, you know, I, one one slight 
just criticism of the actual tone of, of the book, where I thought when he makes this very important point at the end, maybe not have jokes here. Um, because he says, you know, what are you thinking about on your deathbed? He says, this is page 223, you'll be thinking of your kids, your grandkids, my chiseled abs. <laughs> End quote. It's funny, but when I was it's reading that moment, it's, you, you, he probably could have left the humor out of that one moment. I mean, maybe not because he's Greg, but... Well, I, he's, you know, yeah. he is who he is. He is, he is an individualist, I mean, above all. He really is. I mean, he he's not a conservative, per se. He's not. You know, he's not a libertarian per se. I mean, he's not. No. No, which is why I think he called himself a conservative libertarian. Right, right. And I think a conservative libertarian is somebody who has a little bit more of a personal morality. Right. And although it's so funny, when he makes all the jokes on Red Eye, you'd think he's some, you know, person with no personal morality. That's right. He's got the pool boys. The pool boys. Right. And he's always drinking and doing all sorts of horrible things, but uh, in any event. Now, yeah. let's. Now, we've got people in the chat room here. People have said they love Gutfeld. They think he's so funny. Uh, Robert in New York City says he mentions Gutfeld positively in his Objective Standard book review submission of Breitbart's Righteous Indignation. Um, Breitbart took him under his wing, was very influential, yes. And and there is a tribute to Breitbart in the book as well. yeah, Deborah says she is very excited about this book. I guess she hasn't read it yet, so maybe she's going to have to uh go out and get the book. But I would I would think that we would definitely uh encourage people to Absolutely. To, I mean, wouldn't you? You recommend it? No doubt about now, it. Now Bosch said that he's laughed literally more I mean, than yeah. he more has than in a I long think time. any I think any book. I mean, I, I don't read quote unquote comedy books, but this is definitely a funny book and it does make you think and he is very insightful but he's ex- incredibly funny I mean this is the thing he's a very smart man and he's obviously come to the right ideas yeah. through the experience of dealing with right. real people who Absolutely hold right. different ideas Right. and he's done it all through his career because he was he worked surrounded, in for surrounded years. by liberals in his magazines yeah. and then surrounded he, by conservatives at Fox News Right. so he has you know put he said Fox News is the most diverse place he's worked at Oh, yeah. Conservatives, liberals, every, everyone, exactly. libertarians. Exactly, because they actually do believe in fair and balance, which sometimes is annoying. Yeah. Like on election night when you're watching Megyn Kelly oh, traipse around the studio. Also, when you got fair and balance, you got a guy who's relatively honest and you have a, a liar on the other side. It's like that's fair and balance, putting a liar on. Right, right. Um, but I, I was... I was really actually, I would say, a little bit pleasantly surprised by the book because when he said the joy of hate... You know, I, I guess, I guess, in some ways, um, he's saying people, you know, pe- people get off on it, on this outrage. They, they do. Know. They get off. They get off on the outrage. But at the same time, when I actually read what his particular view is, is that he thinks you should be happily judgmental. Yeah. I, I don't know that he actually is going to say you should happily hate people. No. Um, but you should definitely be judgmental when it's appropriate. And he doesn't say that you should withdraw from that. In terms of some ideas that I would criticize in the book. Um, you know, there was actually one of the listeners to the show pointed out that Gutfeld seems to be anti-immigration in a discussion. Now, there's a discussion in which the most, the bulk of the chapter is about showing an ID to vote. Right. But at the beginning and towards the end of that chapter, he is actually talking about immigration. Let me flip to it real quick here. We are on, I don't actually know the number of the chapter because the chapter headings don't have numbers. But the title of the chapter is To Obama, Borders Was Nothing But a Bookstore. Cute title. Uh, But he says, you know, we have borders. Why can't United States have borders just like everybody else? They say we're horrible if we have borders. I don't see him as necessarily being against a proper open immigration policy, and by a proper open immigration policy, I mean that we would allow anyone to immigrate to the United States so long as they weren't criminal, terrorist, enemy, somebody with a horrible disease, etc. Oh, God, somebody's put a free book online uh, yeah, link in the chat room, so how, how do you do it? I do yeah, it here? You know, let's see. Okay, here I go. No, no. no. What click, do I do? Click the name. Oh, okay. I'll do it. You'll do it for me? Yeah, I do. Okay, thanks. Um, 
Yeah, we don't believe in that. Here we go, kick out. Yeah. Yeah, kicking out of the chat room. We believe in intellectual property, so if somebody's yep. trying to give away Greg Gutfeld's book in our chat you're room, out. you're out, you're gone. Everybody, please ignore this. Am I able to delete this? Maybe not. I don't know. That's horrible. Yeah, but that's okay. Yeah, okay. That's disgusting, giving away a book free online. Go support Gutfeld. Um, and I've got a link to it, like I said, on my Don't Let It Go on Her page, the Amazon.com link, and you can go and make it even more of a bestseller than it already is. Also, so, if you haven't, check so, out his uh, talk at the Reagan Library, and he, and he mentions his next possible book, something along the lines of The, the Tyranny of Cool, where cool is dominating everything, where even evil, one of the yeah, where even evil is considered, quote-unquote, cool these days. You know, the thing that he reminds me of when he's talking about the, the cool people and he says, you know, rock stars aren't really rebels and things <laughs> is Rand's uh, saying where she said that the the thing that's lower than the conformist yeah, is the, the fashionable non-conformist. Right, right, right. And Excellent. That, that was what came to mind when, right. I, when I read that. But um, anyway, so I was going to talk about the, the issue of immigration. Uh, the proper immigration policy would be to open it to anybody who's just going to come here and be productive. They're not criminals. They don't have horrible diseases. They're not uh, terrorists or, you know, parts of the enemy if we're at war, so things like that. He here talks about the, I mean, he maybe implies that he's not for open immigration when he talks about having borders, actually having. Right. But even if we have an open immigration policy, it's not that we're not going to have any borders. Right. We're still going to stop people at the borders and see whether they are, these good people are these bad people. We're going to allow good people to come in and be productive. Well, on the other side, the left, they want everyone to come in and vote for them. That's, right, right, That's right. their whole point. And that's what he's talking about yeah. here more is that he doesn't want illegals who they haven't – They don't give a damn who comes into the country as long yeah, as they vote they, Democrat. Yeah, they haven't gone through any type of screening, and you're just going to let them in and vote without an ID. That seems kind of nutty. And also um, IDs are required at the Justice Department. They're required at this place, that place. But, you know, he's uh, Justice Department, is, of course, is against voter ID. Well, and, and they were required at all. Yeah, and that's one thing I love is that he's, yeah. he's always pointing out how the hypocrisy. But, um, you know, what he mentions on page 74 when he brings up the topic of immigration explicitly again, he says a common sense concern over strong borders – and legal immigration. A strong border, that sort of implies that he's not really for open immigration. Possibly. But but here's the other thing, and, and maybe um, this is another topic that Gutfeld will want to uh, you know, expand upon if you were able to ask him. Today, where coming into our country means that you can get all sorts of goodies through the entitlement programs, there are people who resent immigrants who come right. in and get these entitlements right. without having contributed. And especially when we've got policies like emergency rooms have to treat anybody even right. without insurance or anything else, <clears throat> documentation, illegal immigrants often use emergency rooms as their physicians. Right. Right. So there's a lot of, I would say, Headache. rational objection to what's going on with immigration today. Sorry, people are saying that that link was only for a preview, but when I see free book online in all caps, she has to go. This, this Shirley Husser or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that, that's a point. I mean, she, she's either giving away a free book online or she's engaging in deception. Definitely. And I will kick you out of my Absolutely. chat room if you do either of those. But yeah, especially if you engage in deception that looks like you're giving yeah. away intellectual property for free. <sighs> so um, I, I don't think that he's necessarily against a rational immigration policy. I don't know if he's, uh, if was, he's written about it, it, it or even thought about it much. It was Pablo who said that, right, about. This. I'm not sure. I just know that he um, he was basically speaking about mainly about the voter ID. Oh yeah, they got yeah they got filled. That was the primary topic. But I didn't necessarily see I didn't a, a big promotion of the wrong policy. No, uh, he's clearly pro military, yeah. and he analyzes the whole issue of the way the military are treated with respect to tolerance on page 175 of the book. Let me get there real quick. Can I just mention one thing before you mention it mm -hmm. about his uh, his term, uh, Islamophobia phobia, the fear of being called an Islamophobe. You know that's hilarious. Oh no, that's perfect. Yeah. And, and he's got so many good zingers in here, yeah. and then he congratulates himself for his zingers, which I, is, is fun too. That's right. uh, but you know, in in this uh, chapter on 
the military, which is called Harmed Forces. Uh, he, sa he, he says in the first page, 173, he says, if there are any competent Americans left in America, or the world for that matter, it's our military, God bless them. If only the rest of government worked half as well. End quote. Now, I actually worked at the Air Force Academy, so I saw a little bit of what right. the military operates as, right. and it probably doesn't operate quite as well as Gutfeld gives. Well, the some of the professors, here. some of the, you know, but it, it, it's not just corrupt. that. It's, it's certain aspects that are just pure military. That I think you know, like you have to purchase things from certain vendors. Yeah, you have to purchase environmentalist stuff. Right. It, it's it's all in the it's military been as well. It's been yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Like, no, like the rest of the culture. Yeah, but nonetheless, he talks about the fact that the military is not tolerated by the Tolerati. Why? Because the military kills people, and he says they right. kill people better than anyone, etc. So then he, he's talking about the effect of this. On page 175, he says, here's where the tolerant left falls apart once again. He says, you never see them express outrage when our enemies behead, mutilate, or hang our soldiers. You never hear them express outrage over what these beasts do to women, gays, and whomever else they consider worthless, according to their caveman mentality. Yeah. End quote. So he's saying, look, you know, the left is being intolerant of our military because, oh, gee, they actually do violent things. Of course, right. they do violent things for the right reasons, but no, we'll just dismiss that. And then when people attack our military or the enemies that our military is going after attack women and stuff, you never hear anything about it. No, and the anti-war protests only happen when there's a Republican in in office. Yeah, where's the anti-war protests right Nowhere. now? Nowhere. Um, one thing that does bother me quite a bit uh, about the the book and but luckily it's actually a very minor part of it is Gutfeld's use of the word selfishness yeah. um he, and he, ego. he uses selfishness only twice in in the book but he uses it incorrectly he'll say that some scumbag who's doing all sorts of horrible things is selfish yeah and I would love to buy Gutfeld a glass of wine and say, and let me explain to you why it's not selfish for this jerk to do those things that he's doing. I think he's confusing selfishness with hedonism Absolutely. or some kind of weird Nietzschean idea. But, uh, you know, proper selfishness, and this is something that Rand is so good ab about talking about. She's saying, look, what is truly in your rational, long-term self-interest mm -hmm. over the course of your life? And it's not behaving like Lindsay Lohan or any of these. Also, when, when, when people um, accuse Obama of having a quote-unquote big ego, he has, a, you know, he has a very tiny, tiny, minuscule ego. Which right. is why he has to do what he has to do. Which is why he's a power monger. Right. Let me um, let me get to a, a passage on that that I wanted to talk about, and actually on two o three. He has the uh, skeptic tank. That's a title, chapter title. Right. He has these great titles. Yeah, yeah. Uh, winner, oh, yeah winners and looters. Yeah, you know. win winners and looters. No, the titles are awesome. But one thing that I think he went too far in this chapter about uh, uh, skepticism about global warming, which he's excellent on skepticism about global warming, by the way. Um, but I, th I think he does go a little bit too far. So, for example, he says, you should steer clear of anyone who can announce with any certainty that they know the future. Yeah. And he he's talking about all these people who said there was going to be a global ice age and all these different things, and in particular, these people who are talking about the coming catastrophe, right. you know, their apocalyptic uh, media. And he says, for the most part, a lot of all the climate change journalism that's been along these same lines, saying that the catastrophe is coming, he says it's misinformed, exaggerated, and crap. Yeah, but... In terms of telling the future, you know, predicting the future, Rand, you know, writing Atlas Shrugged. Of course, she wrote it in order to avoid that kind of future. Right. But, but she could tell where we were going. Right. And uh, so that would dismiss her. But she didn't say it was certainty, no, mind you. Absolutely she not. said, if you okay. stay on the same okay. course, this what, is what will happen. When he says certainty. Yeah. Right. right. And that, but, but that's also her thing. If you stay on his course, it's certain to happen. This will happen if you don't change. Yeah. Um. He says, hatred towards skepticism also arises, this is on page 211, so this is uh, another problem I have with his use of certain terms. He says, hatred towards skepticism also arises from another dark and dreary place. He says, the human ego, yeah. which is in no short supply among the liberal yeah. left. 
the liberal left, end quote. So he's saying that the liberal left has a big, they have a big ego, that they actually have ego. And I think the left is, I mean, take them at their word. They are selfless. They're egoless. They say they believe in altruism. They believe in sacrificing yourself to others. They don't give a damn for themselves. Yeah. I, I think they, they give up themselves. And I think he actually does point out aspects of that does, throughout the book. Which because this, he says they sell their part, souls. Right. They do sell their souls. And so their soul I, I would, is their self. I would their say ego. that they, they definitely don't have ego. So I would I would try to, in his mind, maybe reclaim the uses of the word selfish and ego. It would be good to have a conversation. Yeah. Some wine. Yeah. Conversation right. over wine. Um, we do still have this caller, but that caller, I think, did not want to actually talk. He just wanted to listen. And wants so, to call up about the uh, thing that you brought up before, about the um, the culture and uh, trickle, you know, trickle down Ayn Rand. We had asked him if he wanted to talk oh, about okay. trickle that wouldn't speak about either. Oh, okay. So I, I don't know who it is and, and what they want. So do call in if you do want to talk about any of these topics. We had somebody in the chat room. I think it was Kathleen who had said earlier, did we talk about the fiscal cliff no. episode? No. You know, we, we, have, we have it, not. I've, oh, I, I've posted about the fiscal cliff this. on the Don't Let It Go Unheard, Unheard page. And really, the thing that is going to be the deciding factor is whether the House actually holds out. Right. Right. And earlier this week, I posted in, on you know in the Don't Let It Go Unheard page because Boehner whom we're not a big fan of Absolutely most of not. the time at all. But he was okay. He, he gave a speech. Well, I watched it. I don't think okay. he watched it, I didn't it, right? watch it. I so, can't watch so, it. So Bosch actually took me at my word that he, Boehner was okay. Did he cry? He did not cry. Okay, okay. He, he was did the, he make the other guys cry? Uh, I hope he made the other guys I cry. I hope so. What Boehner did is he gives a little bit of a press conference, and he says, look, uh, I, on election night, said that I'm willing to talk to the president. He said, I'm willing to put revenues on the table. And Boehner made it clear that by revenues, he didn't mean increasing tax rates. He meant closing loopholes and blah, 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 blah. Um, He said, you know, here I am. I'm extending this fig leaf out to Obama. And then what does he do? He doesn't answer with any sort of proposal for three weeks. So he points out that Obama did not put a proposal out there for three weeks. And then... Boehner actually talks about the details of the proposal and characterize it as unserious. He says, this is not a serious proposal, and he says, we're nowhere because of it. Now, what does he say about the proposal? Obama says that he wants to have $1.6 trillion in new taxes, right. which apparently, based on what he'd been campaigning on, is twice the amount that right. he had said he Literally. wanted to get in these new revenues. Uh, then... The only cuts that Obama offered, spending cuts, were apparently uh, $400 billion, $400 billion in unspecified, right. yet-to-be-specified, promised-for-later cuts, cuts in Medicare. Okay, and, 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 of course, he would like to cut of Medicare. Course, Why? Because he right. wants to get everybody under a single-payer exactly system. Right. So under he would Obamacare. love Yeah. So he wants Obamacare to be the future. He, he He's embraced the name of it even now. Um, and then third, what Boehner said is that in addition to proposing only $400 billion in cuts, he has proposed much more than the $400 billion in new spending. So, so much for a so-called balanced approach where you're going to actually have serious spending cuts in exchange for the Republicans who are ready to cave anyway, yeah. uh, you know, giving a little bit more of the uh, revenues, right? so-called revenues, confiscated right. money from Absolutely. our pocketbooks, right? Uh, no. He, and, and, and so Boehner says we're nowhere. And then the question is, does that mean anything when he says that? Are they actually going to hold out? Or are they going to cave at the last minute because of the well, pressure? Talk, talk Radio has been basically trying to say, I mean, at least Mark Levin called him out and said, we got to get rid of this guy. And he has millions of listeners. You never know. Maybe the pressure got to him. Maybe he finally said, you know what, I have to hold my ground here. Because uh, it's just, I mean, he has to show some spine. He has to. Deborah says, wow, Boehner didn't even cry. No, he did not. I actually thought he was good during this press conference. Oh, that's shocking. Uh, you know, he said, you know, look, you know, what you see is what you get with me. I was out there. I was open to a deal. And he gives us this unserious deal, and it takes him three weeks to do it. We yeah. have nothing. About this fiscal cliff, you know, uh, I think it was a caller on Mark Levin show talking about uh, we've gone over the moral cliff. 
and you hear more and more talk uh, talk radio hosts talking about uh, the morality, the immorality of spending, the immorality of the of the welfare state, and that's a new one to me. I really haven't heard that before. I haven't from objectivists, of course, but from conservatives, not really, because then they get pretty close to something that they don't want to get close to: altruism and condemning it. Right. Right. You know, another thing I was thinking about, there's people in the chat room talking about that when, um, and this is Michael in the chat room, make, uh, quoting about Ayn Rand, and it was a quote from Marianne Suries. It was, when she died, talking about Rand, someone made the following comment, now anger has gone out of the world, and I thought it's true, and it's the world's loss and mine, hmm. end quote. Interesting. And this is the thing, I, w- I would distinguish between Rand's anger when she was actually angry about real things that threatened her values in the real world versus what Leonard Peikoff talks about in The Dim Hypothesis, which is rage. Right. right? fluid distinction. And I would say that some of what Gutfeld is talking about in here, the joy of hate, is this rage, which is basically the product of the Kantian influence, the nihilist influence, what Peikoff talks about as D2 in in the culture, Um, this idea of being angry and wanting to destroy values all the time. Because the the, the phony outrage that people have, Gutfeld shows time and again how it destroys the good and enables the know, He's definitely hitting on things that your average conservative really doesn't, which is great. And he does, again, in a style, in a very unique way. Uh, which is which is just great. I mean, uh, and so uh, Jonah Goldberg, he's a writer for National Review, conservative. He writes something about uh, about about the book, and you want to read that? Oh yeah, sure. This is the blurb from Goldberg on the back of the book. He says, according to the internet, Mother Teresa wants to find joy as a net of love by which you can catch souls. End quote. And then uh, Goldberg continues, in the joy of hate. Greg Gutfeld continues her mission in a completely different way. Hilarious, outrageous, and brilliant. This is the best book on how to think about your fellow man since Atlas Shrugged, and the best book on how to deal with your enemies since the Anarchist Cookbook. End quote. Now, I can't comment on the Anarchist Cookbook. And I can't either. Um, I can comment well, on Atlas Shrugged. I think Atlas Shrugged is so great that it's hard for me to put right. Gutfeld's book as good as it is in that category. I'm really sorry, Greg, if you I mean, ever listen to this. Uh, and Greg, if you did no read Atlas Shrugged after you, after you read The Fountainhead, I think you'd understand. But after you uh, evolved to, you know, Atlas Shrugged is this huge magnum opus. So, but I, I think this is no a, book. A, a really good book full of concretes that are valuable that illustrate how certain ideas play out in our culture. And the damage that they do, and, I think and, it, I think and, and, and it entertains you at the same time. I think it, so, could, it, it could appeal to you know the Obama voters who don't know yeah. much. I, re, I really believe that this, you know, he in, in particular, Greg Gutfeld can. You know, he's one conservative who's just generally funny. Right. That's the thing. Our, our show isn't as funny, and so no. people listen to this and they say, okay, it's didactic and <laughs> it's this right. and it, well, all those things. But uh, good job. I mean, really, really excellent yeah. and. Without having read Rand, although he does mention in here, by the way, uh, remember in the chapter where he's talking about selling his apartment and he has to get rid of all evidence of being conservative and things like that. And he talks about the uh, magazine Reason on his coffee table. So he's definitely getting Rand's influence from that magazine. uh, No doubt about it. Plus, you know, uh, when he if he listens to talk radio, when when the host would mention Rand and they and they do. You know, Mark I, I'd like Rand to know Brilliant. when he has time to listen to talk radio, though. True. He has because, two shows. Yeah, he's got two shows. He writes books And writing often. books. And, and he's written five books, I believe. Uh, I think he said four. Okay. There was one uh, I, I saw some place that said he was the author of five. I think he said that as a joke, and then I think he actually wrote, wrote, wrote four. Uh, Michael in the chat room says agreed that, that uh, Marianne Suri's comments right. that I quoted from above about Rand's anger provide the fuller context regarding Rand's righteous indignation. And and I think that this is another thing that Rand was so good about and that Gutfeld echoes in here. Um, there's a quote that I have out on the Ayn Rand bot. And for people who want little bite-sized snippets of Rand, right. the Ayn Rand bot is oh, a nice great. place to get it. I have 672 Twitter length quotations from Ayn Rand I've been retweeting on, on the Ayn Rand bot, so there's some good stuff. And one of them That's talks about never 
thinking of pain or enemies a moment longer than it takes to fight them. Yes. And so the idea is that you don't sit there and you get all steaming and seethed and go on and on and on about stuff. You do whatever you have to do to address the threat to your values. Spend that time. There is emotional energy that goes along with it, fine. But don't go around steaming and fuming and whatever all the time. And and Gutfeld says the same thing. And I think that's that's I I, you know it's funny because it seems. I wonder if he had some uh, disagreements with Breitbart because Breitbart seemed to go around yeah. outraged a lot of the time too. But I guess not. But he also was, was he outraged or was he just more he was, you know, constantly interacting with them? They call the happy warrior. I mean, he was yeah. he was like that. He was always engaged, always always, always fighting. Uh, there, there was an Iran bot uh, quote that I just re- retweeted. And it was before one can identify anything as gray, quote unquote, one has to know what is black and what is white. You got these gems, you know, every day. I get it again. It's amazing that she was as prolific as she was, and then at the same time, you could find these so, aphorisms in your very short. Yeah, so many 140 character or fewer incredible. snippets that are that are valuable. So whether yeah. it, it was in her letters, in her books, in and, articles, and and the little quotations will get you thinking and remind you you of the yeah. ideas. For some people who haven't read her before, it might actually intrigue you enough oh, yeah. to go out there and start reading some things. Obviously. And I'll continue to add more quotations to that database as as time comes. God, we are five minutes until the end of this well. show, which is amazing. Um, now, uh, yeah, Robert here in, in uh, the chat room says that he agrees with me that if Gutfeld ever listens to my show and takes the advice to read some Rand, which is a dream of mine, that he should read The Fountainhead oh, yeah. before Atlas Shrugged. For sure. And actually, uh, we're trying to give him yeah. The Fountainhead for Christmas. Sorry, Greg, if we're spoiling the Christmas gift. If you ever listen to this and, and we're spoiling your Christmas gift. He did He did retweet the link to the show. He so. retweeted the link to the cool. show. He's so busy on his book tour, I doubt he's going to have time to listen to this. But, but he's if he always did, that will, willing to interact. He's great. Yeah, he's he's been... Uh, awesome, and that's. I feel bad saying I'm going to criticize your book here and there for things, and probably he'll say, "You poor amateur, Amy. <laughs> you, you poor amateur. You, you think I'm wrong about these things, but really I'm not. But at least on his use of the word selfish and the use of the word ego, no, I would I would love that. to to have a discussion about that. I did actually have a very brief back and forth with him about the use of begs the question. Right. And and I think he has been using the phrase raises on the red question eye and on red eye and in this book correctly, which is, great. Which is nice. You actually brought up um, him in, in, in person. But, yeah, so I'm, I'm a nitpicky person, I, I admit. One thing I want to talk about really briefly before we go, and I don't know if it's going to do any good because it's been sort of a bomb, and, and part of it is when I was on my medical hiatus, I didn't really push this campaign. But we have an Indiegogo campaign. And what we are trying to do is bring this particular podcast to a broader audience in 2013. And I do think that by tying some of the links between good people in the culture like Greg Gutfeld and linking that to explicit philosophic ideas from Ayn Rand's work, that we are providing a little bit of a, a crucial piece. And of course, sometimes we will be analyzing issues like, for instance, Ground Zero Mosque. If you read Gutfeld in here, yeah. I analyze Ground Zero Mosque completely differently than he does. Not not completely, but he thinks that it's okay for them to do it, and I think it shouldn't be okay. But, 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 but he's against it. But So we provide different analysis sometimes or if we at least take the better people in the culture, someone like Gutfeld, and connect the dots between that and the explicit underlying philosophy. So we think we provide value. We do. We'd like to bring it to a broader audience. We'd like you to help us. We have an Indiegogo campaign. If you go to Indiegogo, then actually I think I might actually have the link in the copy. Oh, I do. I'm going to be able to stick it right here in the chat room. Here's my shameless plug for the Indiegogo campaign. I've just plopped the link into the chat room. If you like this show, you could click that link and contribute whatever little bit you can spare. I actually don't think we're going to reach our goal because we're not anywhere near our goal of 10,000 and it's an all or nothing campaign and you have about, I think, 50 hours before it's done. Uh, You have 50 hours before the campaign expires. But if you can, or if you know somebody who would like to buy banner ads for their business you can, you for can our afford. show, we're going to have quite a big audience if this campaign succeeds. We have a nice then, size audience right now. We yeah. really do, but we just want to push it yeah, next we, year. Yeah, we would like to. So go ahead and check that out. 
Otherwise, as and usual, if you like this show, cool perks also. Um, yeah, oh yeah, check out the perks of the campaign too. Yeah. yeah, if you like this show, go to the Don't Let It Go Unheard page on Facebook. And if you if you click like on the Don't Let It Go Unheard page on Facebook, then you will be able to stay in touch during the week. I often put news stories there, and we Almost comment. Yeah, comment back and forth. I try to put something uh, interesting every day there. You'll also be able to keep up with the show happenings at that point. Tell your friends about the show. That'll help, of course, bring it to a broader audience. You can follow the show on Blog Talk Radio by clicking follow, etc. So thank you, everyone. Um, Thanks, everyone. Go out and buy The Joy of Hate with Greg Gutfeld. Go to the Don't Let It Go Unheard page on Facebook, and you'll find the Amazon link there. And we will take care. Uh, someone says, good night, guest 9164. Okay. Maybe that was Gutfeld. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> Yay. Um, have a good night, all. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.